How about if I just start at the beginning? <laughs> you could you could be honest. <laughs> you know what? They have the sweat equity that went into that memory that they're making with their friends and family. And that's what's important with us, and that's what the I Am Real World's about. Well, that's a great question. You know, one of the best things about a spring food plot is you get a second chance if it fails. Chasing Giants with Don Higgins. Brought to you by buyafarm.com, your source for farm, recreational properties, rural homes, and more. By tapping into Don's years of experience, dedication, and commitment, Chasing Giants focuses on the techniques, strategies, and dedication needed to harvest one of God's most amazing creations, world-class whitetails. Now, here is Don and co-host Terry Peer. Welcome everyone to Chasing Giants with Don Higgins, brought to you by Biofarm.com. This is episode 44, and I'm Terry Peer. Glad to have you tonight. Our last episode of 2020, Don. It's gone by fast, hasn't it? It has. You know, a lot of people talk about 2020 being a terrible year, but it was a fantastic year for me, not only uh, as a deer hunter, but uh, I've just had a lot of good things. Every business I'm involved with uh, had a great year. Um, even though I had COVID, I got over it. Uh, my wife and daughter had it. Actually, both my daughters and son-in-law. And uh, we got over it, uh, you know, fairly well with, with no major issues. And, uh, you know, I hate that not everybody has been as fortunate as I have. But for me, 2020 wasn't all that bad. Yeah, and, and either one of us, it hasn't been that bad outside of me blowing a knee. I mean, um, it hasn't been that it's been, it's been a challenge to manage the environment, especially with my day job, um, you know, and, and how things are kind of trickling out because of COVID. But, but all in all, I thought I had a successful year and I'm still going. Um, I know that, um, we're going to talk a little bit about the, the weather and how deer are hitting the food plots and, uh, and, uh, you being on the road consulting, I'm still looking for a buck to shoot. I'm not having a whole lot of luck, um, but uh, I know there's a lot of people out there that are focusing on those food sources late in the year. So we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. Um, uh, we're going to get an update about the debate challenge for mechanical versus uh, fixed broadheads. We're going to talk about that a little bit and finish up our series of turning good stands into great stands. And uh, I'm excited about this one that we're going to talk about tonight. But we're actually going to end the show tonight. Uh, talking about what Don Higgins is going to have for a New Year's resolution. And uh, I don't even know what you're going to say. So that's going to be fun that we're going to close the show out with tonight. So look forward to that. So let's circle back around and uh, kind of get to some of these bullet points we got to work through tonight. Talk a little bit about uh, the temperatures that we mm-hmm. saw through the middle of the Midwest. This, I mean, we saw 40-some inches of snow in New York, um, bitter cold temperatures through uh, Ohio and Illinois and Indiana. Talk a little bit about what that does to the deer. Well, I mean, here uh, in Illinois where I'm at, uh, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day was probably the coldest two days that uh, – definitely the coldest two days we've had so far this winter. And uh, my son-in-law was here for Christmas, and uh, he he went he was hunting here on my farm. Now I didn't go with him. Um, I just had uh, this is my busy season. I just didn't have time to go go sit. But uh, he was seeing plenty of deer um, on the food plots, mainly in the soybeans. 
I think on one hunt he's seen about 40-some deer. So, uh, you know, it goes right back to what we've talked about before is plot diversity. When it uh, gets cold, if you've got those grains and especially soybeans, you'll have the deer. Uh, we get a warm spell, and they'll be back out on the greens. So Right. Um, we talked a little bit about this last uh, episode, but, um, you know, I was having that conversation with Dwayne Hopkins, the, the head seedsman for Real World, and we had kind of these anomalies that happened this fall. You know, we were in drought mode uh, for most of the month of September, so a lot of those fall food plots did not get established. They, um, you know, they just laid their seed and what the turkey and birds didn't eat germinated finally when we got later into the fall but what that what that caused is a lot of young tender growth later in the growing season so when you look out across that field and you didn't see necessarily the 12 to 15 inch tall brassicas in a plot you had very young tender growth and the deer have just absolutely been hammering that and my clover up until this temperature swing that we just talked about and then man did they go to the protein source yeah, I'll tell you what, when it gets cold, uh, the uh, those soybeans, it's not only the high protein, but that the high oil, uh, which the oil is, is basically fat, um, they, they really crave that. And it makes a, people may think, you know, one soybean is as good as another, but plant those high oil soybeans next to some regular soybeans and see which one all the deer are standing in on a cold day. I guarantee you they're in those high oil soybeans. So when you're talking about diversity in your food plot, um, some of our listeners, obviously, with the amount of growth we've had just even in the last 45 days on the podcast, I know we have a lot of new listeners, but, but talk just for a couple minutes about this food plot diversity. And I know you, I know double cropping is going to be in there and using lagoons like clover. Um, talk a little bit about why we need to do that based on what the weather's doing through November and December. Well, there's as the season goes along, the uh, deer are gonna crave different things and different plants. The uh, nutrients in them are gonna change. For example, the nitrate levels in uh, some of the bulb plants, you know, like turnips, uh, are gonna be really high early in the year and make them unpalatable. Um, they don't taste very good to the deer, so they don't they don't hit them. But you get some freezing temperatures on those plants, and the nitrate levels drop and, and the sugar levels increase and it makes them really palatable and those deer and then the cold weather will hit those hard but you know that those prime food sources are always changing and uh you know what a deer craves in october is something totally different than he craves in january and uh, that's why you want diversity you you want something on your property at all times that the deer are craving no matter you know what time of year it is and that that's one reason I like our real world the deadly dozen so well. There's twelve different plant species in that blend, and it, it doesn't matter if it's October or January. There's something in that twelve plant blend that the deer is going to be hitting, and it just keeps them coming back to the same plot. But so if you had like um, a if you had a plot, say a quarter or half acre of one variety of purple top turnips, what you're saying is is when that plant variety, whatever it is when that nitrate level dropped and it became palatable, you're going to have a lot of deer hit it 
but then that's going to be the one window because they'll mow it down. Having diversity means they're always coming there for whatever they're craving because some of the stuff just isn't palatable at, at any point in time, right? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, as a, as a land manager trying to maximize the genetic potential of the bucks on my property, it even goes a little bit further because these different plant species will have you know, different nutrient levels. In other words, one plant may be high in, say, vitamin C or something, and, you know, another one's got a higher level of zinc. And and wildlife and livestock both have the unique ability to balance their diet if they're given the opportunity. So with all these different plants and their different makeup, a uh, it allows a deer to balance his diet and, and get everything he needs. So basically they're picking what they, if they have a choice, they'll pick what they eat based on what they need. Exactly. I think we even talked about that with Dr. Strickland at one point, because he mentioned that they were in the woods eating this undergrowth brush and they couldn't figure out what it was until they did a tissue analysis of it and found out why they were eating it because there was a deficiency in that area for whatever that, that, uh, makeup was. Yeah, and you know, an example that I've used in the past and uh, one that a lot of people have seen and hopefully most of our listeners can relate to this, but if you've ever been by, uh, you know, a, a farm where there's horses and uh, or cattle even, and you've noticed that those animals are eating the bark off of the trees in their pen, well, that's because they, they have a nutrient deficiency um, of some kind and they're trying to, they crave that nutrient that they lack and they'll, they're trying to get it through that tree bark. Hmm. So if, if you drive by a, uh, a pasture, you know, and you see that where the bark's eating off all the trees by the animals, that can usually be solved with a mineral. Um, it's usually a mineral deficiency. Gotcha. Um, because they, ha- they just have the ability to, to balance their diet, and that, and that wide variety of plants within our plots allows a deer to do that. Well, I don't know that humans are too different because when I know that I need a Mountain Dew and a bag of Cheetos, I go get me a Mountain Dew and a bag of Cheetos. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if it works that way. But. Uh, okay. So, um, you know, we get we get a ton of questions through Real World right now about, you know, I have a I have a quarter acre micro plot and then I have another plot that's a half acre. I know that a lot of listeners have different situations. Maybe it's that the row crop farmer won't give them a lot of land or that uh, they don't have the equipment to clear. But if you're talking about a clean slate setting up a property, would you rather have a chunk of land that had four micro plots on it to hunt different wind directions or one giant plot with diversity of everything in that same plot that you could hunt with different wind directions? Which would be your preferred well you know this is something i talk about every single day with my consulting clients and i'm a big fan of of uh fewer but bigger plots and the reason for it is those bigger plots have drawing power now i've said it you know the analogy i use uh, with my clients is uh, think of food plots as a restaurant for people so that those small plots, they're like your fast food restaurant. They're like a McDonald's, if you will. So if you're going about your business and you drive and you're hungry and you drive by a McDonald's, you might stop there and eat. But you're not going to go out of your way to drive to McDonald's. You're not going to take your wife out on Saturday night and drive 50 miles to McDonald's. 
they, they just don't have a pulling power. And it's the same way with a small plot. If a deer's walking by and he's hungry, he may stop and eat there. But those small plots are not going to pull in deer from a distance. The, the bigger plots have the pulling power. If they do, they'll and, get overbrowsed. Yep, for sure. Right. But but mainly it's just pass-through traffic that was going to be there anyway. Gotcha. Um, I mean, they, they've got their place because, uh, you know, they can enhance a stand side. If you've got deer passing through a fairly wide travel corridor, you can pull them over a little bit to that plot and hopefully get a shot at them. But for, for major pulling power, uh, the, the big plots are where it's at. Interesting. So like I said, when we uh, when I disclosed that question at the beginning, a lot of people have different situations and different things. And most properties, you just have to make the best out of what you have to work with. But when given the choice, that's why I wanted you to answer that. So you mentioned a little bit about your, um, um, before we move on, why don't you uh, uh, give a quick update about where you've been consulting. And um, if, um, I think we announced last last episode that your master classes are full. So tell us a little bit about what's going on with the Higgins Outdoor stuff right now. Yeah, before I do, though, I just thought of something that's, that's kind of funny that, okay. that goes with these food plots. Uh you know, when I, so when I'm meeting with my clients and I'm, I'm throwing out that analogy with the restaurants, um, you know, I tell them instead of the McDonald's, we want to create that seven meat, all you can eat buffet restaurant that just pulls <laughs> them deer in from properties, you know, three properties over. And, uh, I was on one property consulting with a guy several years back and, and, uh, we was walking through the property and I just used that analogy maybe 10 minutes before. And we come to this little tiny plot that's about the size of a two car garage. And, and I told him, I said, this isn't even a McDonald's. You got a vending machine here. Huh. All the deer's going to get here is a bag of potato chips. Yeah, that's good enough. And, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, just keep that analogy in mind, um, as you're setting up a property, but, uh, you know, I, I traveled, uh, where was I at this week? I was, uh, well, I was in Indiana yesterday. Um, and then I did some, some local properties here in Illinois. I mean, they, when I say local, they was within about a two or three hour drive where I could go visit the property and still come home every night and, uh, sleep in my own bed. But, uh, well, this coming week I'm gonna, I've got, uh, I'm going to be in Illinois, Missouri and Iowa. Um, depending on weather, I guess there's a blizzard supposed to be hitting Iowa about Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, at least Northern Iowa. So, uh, right. it's kind of all up in the air what I'm going to be doing, but, uh, starting tomorrow on one here in Illinois and, and just take it from there. But, uh, I'll, I'll be on a property about every day this coming week. You, uh, um, before you, before you give an update on the master classes, you have, um, as long as everything goes as course, you're going to be, uh, speaking at some seminars. Why don't we talk about that for a little bit? I know we have a few scheduled, a uh, couple of them I'm going to be at with you, um, that I'll kind of man the booth a little bit while you're doing your seminars. Let's, uh, tell everybody where they can come out and say hi to us if they're in the area. Yeah. And, uh, mid-January, I don't remember the exact dates, but uh, somewhere around the 15th of January, uh, we're going to be at the Northeast Ohio Sportsman Show uh, at Mount Hope, Ohio. Um, that's a three-day show on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then in mid-February, and again, I don't remember the exact dates, uh, you can find these uh, 
the details of this on the Real World Wildlife Products uh, website. But just uh, click the trade show tab at the top. Yep. Um, but the one in mid-February is going to be at Shipshawana, Indiana, uh, the Mech Center. Uh, we're going to be mafia. doing a. I think we're going to be doing a live podcast on the floor, uh, one of those nights. That ought to be pretty cool. Yeah, that's right. We were asked to uh, to do that, so we will be uh, recording a podcast there at that show, um, taking questions from the audience. Even so, I uh, hope to see you there if you're in northern Indiana, southern Michigan. Uh, Shipshawana is really close to the Michigan line, so uh, it wouldn't be that far of a drive. And then uh, the first weekend in March, I'm speaking at the Iowa Deer Classic. So uh, hope to see you at one of those. Yep, and uh, I'll be I'll be at Shipshawana, and I'm probably going to be at Northeast Ohio for at least Friday and Saturday. But I doubt I'll make it out to Iowa with my calendar that time of year. So um, yeah. let's. Um, I did I did say that right. Your master classes are now completely full. They are 100 percent booked full. Um, I, I had space to, uh, do like three private groups on weekdays. So essentially if, a um, a group of up to 20 people can come, um, it doesn't matter what, what kind of group it is. I, I've got a, uh, a business in Ohio that's bringing a bunch of people out that, that all work for this company. Um, I got another group from Northern Indiana coming and, I could probably work in one more of, of those private uh, classes. Um, the difference is I give a little bit of a break on the price, but it's got to be on a weekday. Uh, my weekends are all booked full. Right. Um, we also do not have that uh, social hour get-together the evening before. But uh, like right. I said, I uh, offer just a, a, a little better rate for that. So if anybody's got a, uh, a group or whatever that might be interested, just contact me and I'll give you the details. Yeah, you're on your own those because I can't come up during the week. But um, but yeah, I think it's a good opportunity for like men's groups from churches or uh, hunt clubs, you know, um, or corporate events stuff like that. If you're interested, reach out to Don on his website about that. I think you got some people uh, signed up for the film school. Also, why don't you give a quick update for Steve there? Yeah, Steve Shields and I are hosting a film school uh, at my farm. Um, Basically, Steve's going to be handling the class. Uh, he's got uh, way more experience than I do. Um, been involved in the hunting industry for a lot of years. Filmed some of the biggest names in the industry. Produced shows for them. Um, but I'm going to be going about my business, doing what I would be doing on my farm at that time of the year. And Steve's going to be instructing on, uh, you know, capturing and telling the story um, as I'm doing this. So. Uh, we're going to be working together on it, but there'll be one of those in May and one in August. There's already students signed up for both classes. So, uh, if they fill up as quick as, uh, the, uh, master courses have, um, you know, it won't be long. They'll be full as well. We're not taking as many people because it's, there's going to be a lot more one-on-one as, as Steve works with folks and their cameras and, uh, you know, really focuses on teaching them some things. So great. All right, I want to, uh, one more housekeeping thing before we move on to the uh, make a good stand, a great stand segment, and that's just one more housekeeping thing just to keep everybody informed, and that is the poll that you did on your Instagram for the debate for mechanical versus uh, fixed broadheads. 
Well, yeah, we put it out there, and uh, the the response was, I think it was 79% to 21% wanted to uh, hear the debate. Um, we, we throw, we're throwing it out here to the listeners, you know, find us, uh, someone to d- debate within the hunting industry or, or whatever. And we've had some big names, um, mentioned folks have connections and, and are trying to get some of these bigger names involved and, uh, we're all for it, but Terry and I don't have the uh, time or inclination to be out recruiting somebody to do this. So we're kind of leaving that up to the listeners to, uh, Right. To find us someone. So there is multiple people right now, you know, telling us that certain people in the industry are interested in coming on, um, but nothing's been, you know, put in stone yet. So we're not going to talk specifics, but there is some very big name uh, people in the industry that people will recognize that uh, are going to come, uh, possibly come on. So we're we'll keep everybody updated. But as of right now, nothing's scheduled. I'm going to envision, Don, that this is probably based on the what our schedule is going to be, and it really depends on what the other person's schedule will be. I'm thinking that we'll work this in like late January, February, something like that. So it's not going to happen in the next couple episodes, but we'll keep you everybody updated as far as what's going on and how we're going to do it. So um let's yep. let's turn to make this is the this is the final segment of turning a good stand into a great stand and i'm gonna screw it up if i try to go back and remember all of the things that we talked about before but i'm gonna try one of them was hang them in in uh the winter like february beforehand one of them was access one of them was i think uh do things to get closer to the deer so it's a it's a closer shot you know whether it's um you know routing the deer and i think the other one was picking the perfect or the best tree and i think that kind of went in line with some tips to try to divert or get the deer closer to that specific tree so i think i, I think i hit all of them um but this is going to be the last one so why don't you walk us through what is the tip tonight for making a good stand a great stand well, the tip tonight is something that I've been doing for a lot of years. And uh, way back before the days of cell phones, I used to carry in my hunting pack a small notepad of paper and ink pen. And I had that in a Ziploc bag in my pack. And what I would do is I set in my stands is uh, if I noticed something that, that could make a make that stand a little bit better, I would take note. I'd actually write out the note. Um, maybe it was just trimming one branch on a tree or something, uh, to, to clear another shooting lane or something like that, but whatever needed to be done to make that stand the best it could possibly be, I would, uh, write down the name of the stand or description of where the stand was or whatever. And then I would list whatever needed to be done. Um, back then what I would do is I'd tear that little sheet of paper out of the, out of the notepad and, uh, you know, after season was over and I'd take it with me and I'd get all the gear I needed to do everything on that list. And I would go to that tree and and I would do whatever needed to be done. Uh, today I I do it just a little bit different with cell phones. I just take those notes on my cell phone. And if I see something that could be done to make that stand just a little bit better than it is, I'll make a notes of it. And I I do the, the same thing in the winter when season's over and I've got time to go you know, fix the stand or whatever needs to be done. I'll just get on my phone and I'll see everything that needs to be done and I'll 
know all the tools I need to take with me, whether it be a chainsaw or whatever. And, uh, away I go and I'll get that stand fine tuned. Sometimes it, it, it's even moving a stand, you know, the, the note might say, move that stand to the oak tree, um, 10 yards to the east or whatever. And, uh, and that's what I'll do. So, uh, take notes as you're hunting and, you know, then go back and follow up in the off season and get those things done. And that'll just make your stands better for the following season. And to guys, to the guys that may only have one or two stands, it doesn't sound like a big deal. But the amount of stands that we have to keep track of, you know, and, and you're talking in the case of like the Joey Buck, <laughs> you never hunted that stand and had had to have that that uh, spot ready. But mm-hmm. I, I'm guilty of this, Don. I've sat down in the stand on the first sit of the year and say, "Oh, I forgot to do this," or you know, uh, didn't come in and share my lane or needed that stand moved up or one more climbing stick or one screw in step to help you get in and out a little bit easier. I've been guilty of that where I've gone back out and just didn't have it. Um, Mm -hmm. I know one time this year I, I tried to remember, um, Wes and I were hanging ladder stands, uh, in Illinois and, um, we lost one of the pins that hold the legs together and I didn't make a note of it. I was like, Oh, I'll just bring, I said, uh, leave the one at the bottom, uh, out. And when I come in, I'll just bring one with me. Well, guess what? I forgot and got there to hunt that day and went to step on it and it, it went to separate on me. So I couldn't hunt that stand and had to bring one in the next day. So something mm-hmm. I've been really, really guilty of. Well, the notes just, uh, it's there to help you help jog your memory. But, uh, when you start talking 30 or 40 stands in the woods, uh, I don't know about you, but I need the notes to keep things straight. So it just, uh, it's something I've been doing for a lot of years and, uh, has worked really well. All right. Well, I told you before we got on the air tonight that I wanted to put you on the spot about something. And I even gave you the option about whether I was, I, if I wanted to tell you ahead of time and let you think about it or put you on the spot. And I think you're used to me putting you on the spot enough by now that you said, just roll with it. So yep. I got a question for you that I've been wanting to ask you. And most of the time, this would be a conversation I would ask you up in the shed or as we were sitting there eating, eating dinner or something together. But Going back to the Mel video, um, you know, I, I got to see it a couple days early before we released it, and I don't know how many times I've watched it, um, but over the holidays, some of the family had not seen it, so I, we, we watched it together um, over family Christmas. And the, um, the scene where one of the bucks was coming up, uh, I, I, well, not one of the bucks, it was, it was Mel walking up, I think, when you were talking about him being a yearling. Uh, you mentioned something that uh, was a quote that you taped on the gun cabinet door. And I'm going to get it wrong, so I'm going to ask you. I, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Can you can you basically mm-hmm. say what that was for the listeners? Yeah, that quote was, as hunters, we should be judged more by what we choose not to shoot than by what we do shoot. All right. So, and, and that was a quote from, I mean, Goodness, when you hung that up on your gun cabinet door, that was when you were a teenager, right? 
Yeah, that was back in the 1970s. I was just a kid. I was probably in about the eighth grade. All right, so my question for you, and you, you don't know what's coming, is if your hunting career ended today and you were never able to hunt, kill another deer, write another article, do any more consulting, and, and 2020 was basically your last year, would you rather be known for the guy that passed a 216-inch deer on film because you didn't know or you had doubts that he was a mature deer? Or would you rather say, I've killed my third, people know you for I've killed three 200-inch deer on property that uh, you know wasn't an outfitter or high fence? Which would you rather be known for? Wow, that's pretty tough. <laughs> <laughs> See, you should have you should have let me warn I you about, thought that. about that one. Yeah, so yeah. basically it's like you have two things that people I think I look up to you in two ways. You you've you passed a 216-inch deer because you believe something and we're convinced of it. The some of the people that have watched the video will argue with it, but you're going off of living there and seeing that deer and trail camera pictures, you know, a lot more than what you can show in a 20-minute video. Or that you've been able to design habitat or find a way to hunt a, a property that you got permission on and been able to harvest now three deer over 200 inches. But you can are those my two. only two choices? Those are your only two choices. You want to phone a friend? Uh, no. What would, be your third, what would be your third choice? You can go for the third choice if you want. I know I put you on the spot. Well, I would really rather be known not for anything to do with the size of the bucks that I shot, but more for the fact that I tried to help others along the way. Um, you know, it's it's exciting when you shoot that big buck, and and it's just been in my blood since I was a kid chasing these big deer and the thrill of, of putting it all together and getting it done. Um, as I got older and matured, I wanted to share that with others. I wanted others to be able to experience that same feeling. So, you know, it's one of the reasons we're doing this podcast. It's one of the reasons I do seminars and the master course and consulting and everything I do really is geared towards helping others achieve that or experience that same feeling that I felt so many times. And, you know, I said in the Mel video, if I never shoot another big deer, I've shot more than my fair share. And I really mean that. So for me, I'd rather be known as the guy that, that tried to help others, you know, reach the same dreams that, that he did. Um, if you're going to narrow it down to the two, I guess I would probably rather be known for the guy that, that let the 200 walk. Um, just because, you know, I had goals and and that deer didn't meet that goal as far as the age requirement. And, you know, a three-year-old deer is not mature um, in anybody's book. So right. for me to shoot it, it would basically, you know, I'm shooting an immature deer, even though he's got a, a, a giant uh, set of horns or antlers. Um if I had to choose, I guess it would be letting the big one walk rather than killing. Very cool. 
All right. Well, I know I surprised you with that one, but I think we're uh, we're going to let you move on and not have to <laughs> not have to dwell on that anymore. Uh, why don't you take us into our buyafarm.com property of the week? Buyafarm.com is your source for farm, recreational properties, rural homes, and more. Now, here is Don Higgins with this week's featured property. All right, this week's featured property is a 223-acre farm in Randolph County, Illinois, near the town of Steelville. Um, this property is at the end of a dead-end road. Um, of the 223 acres, there's about 122 that is a tillable cropland. Uh, there's about 41 acres that's a fenced-in pasture uh, with a balanced uh, wooded acreage. Uh, there's actually a river that's... Uh, pretty much the south and east property lines uh, of this property. Uh, there's a home on the farm. It's a three-bedroom, uh, 1,200-and-some-square-foot ranch-style home that was built in 1960. It's in great condition, ready to move into. Uh, it's presently being used as a hunting lodge. Um, there's also a couple of machine sheds and other buildings um, on the property. Uh, the present owner has worked diligently since 2001 to make it a top-notch whitetail property. And if you go to the buyafarm.com website, you're going to see a lot of trail camera pictures and also harvest photos uh, of some really nice bucks. But, you know, you know it's got food plots set up, blinds. Uh, there's sanctuary on the property. Um, there's some marketable timber, um, and the mineral rights are included. So there's a lot of different options here. Um, if you're looking for a home in that area, you could, uh, you know, make that your home, but it'd also be a great hunting property and use, use the house that's there as your hunting cabin. Um, but it's definitely one to check out, uh, go to the buyafarm.com website, look for the 223 acre property in Randolph County. Um, this property is gated at the end of the dead end road and it's shown by appointment only. So if you want to have a look at the property you'll need to contact agent wayne keller and wayne's phone number is 618-407-1679 yep and um and i've talked with wayne before and um i don't know if i should even say this or not but trail camera pictures on real estate sites are always kind of like those outfitters that post trail camera pictures you always wonder whether they're on the property <laughs> that yep. they, that the outfitters are really doing or whether they've just found them on Facebook or something. But, you know, by appointment, if you wanted to go see this, you're going to see where these pictures were actually taken when you go see that. And uh, the thing that I like about properties when they say that there's marketable timber is that you could use that to your advantage when you're uh, doing your habitat improvements, you know, with select cuts or areas that you want to log, you know, with the treetops and everything else that you want to do for bedding cover, you could actually use that to your advantage, not only financially, but with your habitat. Exactly. Yeah, there's a, I can't tell you how many properties I can sold on where I recommend that they do a timber harvest and uh, to improve the bedding cover as much as anything. So. Right. Not only do you improve the habitat, but you make some money at the same time. Yep. Offset other projects that you want to do on the property or help pay for it. So very right. cool. So uh, this is in Randolph County. If you go to buyfarm.com, uh, just search Randolph County. It's 223 acres. Um, and uh, give a shout to Wayne Keller. His number is 618 
407-407-1679. So we want to thank BarFarm.com for their support of the podcast and uh, invite you to go follow their social media account on Facebook and visit their website. So so uh, I know you told me earlier today that you got a big box of T-shirts in, so you've been catching up on some of the odd sizes that we ran out of, right? Yep, for sure. I, uh, pack, or I should say my wife packaged up a bunch of T-shirts <laughs> to ship out yesterday. So mailman Stephen, I know uh, Stephen Polk, my mailman, listens to this podcast. Stephen's going to be picking up a big pile of T-shirts tomorrow that goes out to the people that have maybe ordered them or submitted questions. We sell a lot on the website as, as well as the ones that we send uh, to people who submit questions. So those are going out. If you, if you didn't get one and got one coming, expect it soon. Yeah. And, um, uh, we didn't talk about this, but you know, we're getting a lot of requests for some chasing giants, uh, apparel for hats and sweatshirts and stuff like that. I don't know what we're going to get into. Um, but Don and I, before we came on the air tonight, we're actually talking about, uh, some hats. So if you're interested or you would want to, I'm going to be, uh, we'll be talking about this a little bit more. So for everybody that's, you know, kind of, uh, reaching out to us and saying they want hats or whatnot, uh, just stay tuned. We'll have some information for that in the near future. We'll try to get some stuff uh, ordered, but apparel is just such a pain, but if people want it, we'll try to do it for them. So, uh, yep. so uh, I guess we got some, the, man, the, the submitted questions just keep rolling in, and I, I, I feel like I need to owe some apologies to some people that uh, we can't use their question, but at the same time, we might be saving it to when it's more pertinent to the time of year that the topic uh, aligns with. Right. We, we got several of them, um, and they're rolling in, and we, we like it because then we can pick, you know, some, like Terry said, that are relevant to the time of year. But uh, uh, we got some good ones this week. The first one comes in from Drew Sturma from Evansville, Illinois. And I didn't even know there was an Evansville, Illinois. I thought he messed up, and uh, it was Evansville, Indiana. But boy, I checked, and there's an Evansville, Illinois. So I learned something from Drew's question. Uh, But Drew says, hey, Don and Terry, love the podcast. I look forward to the new episodes every Monday. I was curious your thoughts on Russian olive. Is it a good thing to have on your hunt property or not? It seems like it would make good security cover, but I'm not sure if there are better options. I don't remember ever seeing them browse on it on their way through the timber. The farm I hunt has areas of timber that are covered in it and some areas that are open. I don't think I really see deer move, see deer more in one area than the other. So I should be looking. So should I be looking at trying to get rid of it or leave it? Well, Drew, I think some of these exotic invasives, uh, you know, like honeysuckle, autumn olive, Russian olive, they are so well established through much of the Midwest. I think it's a never-ending battle that we're never going to win. I would never encourage you to plant it. Uh, If it's there, I don't think Russian olive is near as bad as as like bush honeysuckle. But uh, it, it does make decent cover, but I don't think deer browse on it. I would much rather see someone planting natives. Um, you know, there's a lot of native bushes that are great cover, are not invasive at all, and offer browse. Um, you know, some of the dogwoods, 
uh, elderberries. Um, the, the list is just long. Um, uh, American plums and um, shoot, I could just go on and on. But uh, as far as whether you should get rid of it or leave it, I, I think if you try to get rid of it, it's going to be a never-ending battle. I don't think you ever will. Um, so you're saying you, just you try to contain it because that stuff spreads, doesn't it? Or does it? It does. It gets those red berries on it. Um, you, you know the lease we've got, Terry, in the lane that goes back on that lease. How them those yep. bushes are just coming in. That's that's what the, that is. Is Russian olive, and in the fall, it's just covered with red berries that the birds eat, and they go poop it out somewhere, and boom, you got another bush. Uh, Russian olive bush. So, and, and that seed just, you know, it's kind of like weed seed. It, it gets in the soil and it's just there when the conditions get right, boom, it, it pops another plant. I, I just struggle with uh, trying to to control it because I, I just don't think we can. I think it's a never ending battle. Now, with that said, if you're young and ambitious and got plenty of time and energy on your hands go for it you know try to wipe it out but uh i just think it's a battle you're gonna lose um well i'm gonna i'm gonna take a second and and try to put you on the spot one more time in this episode because you, <laughs> you've just said a couple times in answering drew's question about the fear and invasive but uh-huh. but um you know giant miscanthus um there's a whole lot more to the story than what some of these people who get on the habitat forums and say, and, and accuse us of trying to sell invasive products. So I don't, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily want this to turn into a real world commercial because I don't think people are here for that. But at the same time, I think there is a very good correlation between Drew's question and dealing with an invasive species and a product that you personally tested for different applications that is certified as sterile and non-invasive. Well, giant miscanthus is, is an exotic, which means it's not native um, to North America, just as, you know, the Russian olive and the bush honeysuckle is not native. And uh, when they get some of those exotics become invasive because they outcompete the natives, but they certainly don't all. Um, a good example is uh, sawtooth oaks. You can go post something about sawtooth oaks on the internet, and people don't flip out like they do about miscanthus. Uh, a sawtooth oak's an exotic; it's it's native of Asia, but yet we bring it here, and, it, and it's um, not invasive because it does not outcompete the native vegetation. And it's the same way with giant miscanthus. Giant miscanthus is a sterile hybrid, um, at least the variety that real world selling is. Now, the thing of it is, there's a lot of different. Uh, species within the miscanthus genus um and some of those miscanthus species absolutely are invasive and i think that's what people get confused and they get all in an uproar when they see somebody selling miscanthus they just assume that the one we're selling is is invasive but you know there's a lot of exotic species plant or not only plant species but animal species um the ringneck pheasant is an exotic it's from china a native of China, but yet it's done very well in this country. But on the other hand, you take something like the Asian carp, it's an exotic that came here and just, you know, destroyed the ecosystem um, in some of our waters at the detriment of some native fish. So 
exotics, you know, I would definitely prefer a native, but we don't have a native that can compare to giant muscanthus. So if giant muscanthus is not invasive, then I'm fine with using it on my property and, and in fact do. So just because something is exotic does not mean it's invasive. Right. But, but consumers do have to be careful that they're purchasing something that has been tested, certified, and has the documentation and not just taking somebody's word for it. I think that is very important, and I understand why people get a, you know, a little bit riled up on this topic. But, uh, you know, if you have further questions of that, reach out to Don Wes or myself um, on the Real World site. Again, I didn't want to turn it into a commercial, but I think the similarities between Drew's question and this kind of went parallel with each other. So good question, Drew. Yeah, I think you make a great point, Terry. Um, you know, we did our homework. We, we're not introducing invasive species, so uh, that was a great point. And, uh, yeah, thanks for your question, Drew. Uh, your T-shirt is actually shipping out tomorrow with the ones that are on back order. So we'll move on to the next question, which comes from Nathan Kelsey from Kirksville, Missouri. And Nathan's got a long one here. Nathan says, Merry Christmas, Don and Terry. I can't thank you guys enough for this podcast and the information you share. It has been eye-opening and motivating for sure. My question is, how do you determine if you need more bedding on your property? I have one property that is 80 acres and is mostly overgrown pasture and brushy draws. Even the timber, which is mostly shagbark hickory, has quite a bit of understory growth, such as shrubs and multiflora rows. Multiflora rose is another invasive, by the way. Um, I have another property that has less timber and brush coverage, but it has approximately 10 acres of overgrown pasture bordering a creek with treetops left from a recent logging. I hunted and killed my biggest buck to date on this property this fall, and he seemed to really like that area of the property. Your podcast has made me realize that I have always been primarily focused on food, but now I want to make sure I have a place those mature deer want to spend their daylight hours. I have bedding, but how do I go about determining if I have enough quality bedding? I am trying to determine if I need to add five acres of switchgrass or if I could manage the cover that is there to keep the deer using it. I want to use my time and resources in the most efficient way possible. Thanks so much, Nathan Kelsey. That was a long question, but a very good question that I think a lot of land managers struggle with. Yeah, absolutely. I can't tell you how many times I went to consult on a property and the landowner has already had ideas of clearing out great cover to plant switchgrass. And switchgrass definitely has its place. And, you know, on my farm, in fact, we just posted a video in the last day or so. I did today on my Instagram, and I think you did on the real world uh, in the last couple of days, yep. Terry. Yep. So uh, switchgrass has its place, but uh, it's not a you know a cure-all for, for bedding issues. So what makes quality bedding? Well, the first thing is freedom of human intrusion. It's by far the most important thing uh, on the management of any property. If you can have the best cover, the best habitat, the best food in the world, and if you've got human intrusion all over that property, you're not going to be killing mature deer, at least on a consistent basis. So, uh, you know, it's a very tough, difficult, or a very difficult question to answer without seeing the property and, and what's there and what's around it, actually. Um, 
the the best bedding cover for most for mature bucks is typically really thick cover. Um, they they just like to be in that thick stuff, and and one reason for it is the thicker it is, the less likely they are to encounter human intrusion. So it's really tough to say. Is there a ratio that people can use between how many acres, like two to one, three to one, something between food and bedding, or does it just depend on your property and your deer density? Well, you know, there needs to be a balance between the bedding cover and the food, so... But one of the yeah. things one of the things you've talked about a lot of times before is making your property different on that checkerboard, your square different. So maybe the right answer in this is is zoom out a little bit on your Google Earth and say what can I do different on this property to to make it different than the people around me. Yeah, that's a very good point. And uh, you know, clearing out some cover to plant switchgrass is usually not the answer. Switchgrass is more of a a uh, solution for a property that has no cover it's it's open you know fields and if if you got open fields in an area where cover is lacking like in my area then switchgrass can create bedding cover in a hurry faster than any wooded cover ever would but the lease you just talked about in the question before this where we have that grown-up pasture with all that russian olive in there there's cover on every square inch of that property except what we have cleared out for food plot so there wouldn't be any yep. use in necessarily clearing that out for switchgrass. Right. Got it. Okay. Okay. We'll move on to the last one. Um, the last one, <laughs> this is the only question that we've ever had submitted as anonymous. They didn't leave their Although, name? Um, I've got their name, but he, oh, the guy didn't, didn't want, want his name used. I got you. And you'll see why when I read it. Is he talking about his neighbor's cows or his cows got out onto his neighbor and uh, the neighbor called the attorney? No, he's actually okay. talking about his hunting, hunting partner. So oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, I thought maybe my neighbor was uh, submitting a question online. No. Um, so anonymous, I, I'm not even going to say where anonymous is from, yeah, although I've better. got right here. Probably better. So anonymous says in my first year archery hunting to 2020, I have relied on others for information. I relied on one specific friend most for information and use of his 25 years worth of equipment. After his third deer shot and not harvested, I started to think that maybe he is not a very ethical hunter. He is a good shot, however. And I stumbled upon this podcast and YouTube channel. Now I realize that I have so much to learn and unlearn and that most of the information guidance he has given me is wrong. From hunting too often to hunting the interior to walking every inch of a property looking for sign to not worrying about the wind to watching the moon cycles to mechanical broadheads to scent blockers, <laughs> even possibly using attractants in season. My family has allowed me to use their land to hunt on. I am hoping to come to the master class to get a solid foundation early in my hunting career. I have tried talking to my friend about the things that I have learned from you guys, Don and Terry, but he seems set in his ways. If he doesn't change some things about how he hunts, I do not want him hunting property that I may invest $1,500 for the master class plus other costs for improvements in labor if he is not willing to change. 
question. Have you dealt with a situation like this before? And how would you go about telling someone, a close friend or family member, that they are not allowed to hunt your property or that you no longer want to hunt with them? We are in a hunting group on public land. And I'm not sure what a hunting group on public land is. So. (laughs) I've I've thought about this a lot. And the reason I selected this question is because I want to make a point, something I've observed many times over the last 40 some years. The very best hunters that I know, the most successful—I shouldn't say that—the most successful mature buck hunters I know hunt alone, and that doesn't mean they don't have friends that hunt. That doesn't mean that they may have a friend that that hunts nearby. But if you're one of these guys that every time you've got to go to the woods, you've got to take someone with you, you're never going to be successful as the guy that goes that alone. Um, there's there's just twice the scent, you know, and just twice the noise and, and just everything else. Well, in this case, um, it's it's two different ideologies of how to hunt. Not not to mention you got double the people, but you got two people with different beliefs. Yeah, and so you're doing one thing, and you think this is important, your buddy doesn't, and he thinks something else is important, you think it's not. And uh, it's just hard to find two hunters that are – 100% compatible. So there's always issues. Um, you know, I've got plenty of friends that hunt and very good friends that hunt, but we just don't go hunting together. Um, hunting can be a solitary sport or it, it can be a, a, a group thing too. And I think you need to make, you, you need to really, this is your first year hunting. You need to decide what your goals are as a hunter. If your goals are, are to share, you know, good time with friends and family, then that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. Uh, you just need to realize that probably as a, as far as harvesting deer, you're probably not going to be quite as successful. But, uh, you know, for everything you give up, you gain something too, and you, you're gaining quality time with friends and family. So the thing of it is you need to, to decide – what your goals are and what you want to get out of hunting. Um, you, you mentioned a bunch of different uh, things, and I think you're getting these from our podcast. Uh, <laughs> um, hunting too often, hunting the interior of a property, walking every inch of a property looking for sign, uh, not worrying about the wind, watching moon cycles, mechanical broadheads, scent blockers, uh, using attractants. Um I, I don't think I need to go in and pick each one of them things apart, but uh, I, I, there are some issues or some topics that there's more than one right answer. Um, for example, let's let, let's look at rattling or calling deer. Does it work? Absolutely, it can work. Now, my belief is that in the heavily hunted regions where where I'm hunting. And I'm hunting only for the oldest mature bucks. The the tactic of calling deer probably spooks more of the deer that I'm trying to target than it attracts. However, you know, you're a beginner. If you're happy to shoot, you know, yearling, two year old, even three year old bucks, feeling then calling can be very, yep, yeah, calling can be very effective. 
Or down in so South you, Texas. That's a different story down there altogether than what you're in. Yep, exactly. You're the region you're in. So, you know, there, there's really no cut and dried answer on a lot of tactics. Uh, I'm trying to share on this podcast and what has worked for me in central Illinois with the bucks I'm targeting. And one of the reasons I asked Terry to be on this podcast is because or to be the co-host is because he comes from a different region of the country. He can bring a different perspective. Um, I, I didn't want to just have my neighbor down the road who hunts the same way I do here. I, I wanted to, you know, broaden the horizon, if you will, and, and offer insight from a different region. And I think Terry's done a, a great job of that. Um, I'm only here for my looks. <laughs> that's why we're on, that's why we're on radio <laughs> instead of TV, Terry. <laughs> but, uh, what do you have to add here, Terry? I, I know you've got you've got to have something. To... Well, I here's the thing. This this um, I'm sorry. What was his name again? Oh, he's anonymous. anonymous. That's right. Sorry. If he's just starting hunting, there is a lot to be learned. Uh, when I did the Whitetail Cribs episode, and I talked about the first deer that I ever shot, it was it was with a bow, and I literally shot him right in the butthole. And I didn't know anything about what I was doing. The people that I was around then, uh, I wouldn't hunt with them today because they don't take it as serious as what I do now. It's part of that journey. And I think a lot of people try to get to the level Don is at from their first couple years of hunting. And there's nothing wrong with setting those goals. But it's really hard to get from that point A to point Z very quickly there's a lot of lessons that you have to learn the hard way and some of those lessons are going to be learned with with people and out on your own Um, I personally have shared farms with family members and it's a really tough deal Um, I've tried to divide the farm up and say you hunt that side and I'll hunt this side and both of us are on you know 25 acres and it's it's tough Um, you, you try to pick up little things here and there but um, it just depends on where you're at. And I just encourage you, if you're going to try to set an unrealistic goal based on the property and your environment and the people that's with you, you'll have a very frustrating experience with this sport. But if you set realistic goals to keep learning, improving, and follow that journey, doesn't mean you won't kill a booner your second year. But you're going to learn a lot on the way there. And uh, you can listen to whatever podcast and watch whatever YouTubes until you get out there and you literally learn how to kill deer. Um, it's tough. And it's, it's, it's almost impossible to do consistently. So like Don said, set your, set your realistic goal. Push yourself. Don't cave on that goal. And sometimes you have to use the family member or friends as a learning opportunity for you. And unfortunately, I've had to walk away from family property to go find other land because it just didn't align with what I wanted to accomplish that next season. You know, I talk a lot about my consulting clients. And uh, before I ever visit my consulting clients, I've got a series of about 10 questions that I ask. And, And one of those things is the goals for their property. You know, what are they trying to achieve as far as deer hunting goals? And another question is, the hunting, how many people are hunting that property, the hunting pressure. Um, and I look at that as they answer all these questions, I'm building a picture in my mind of the situation. 
And, and if there's something out of balance there, I, it's my duty to let them know, you know, they're paying me for the best advice that, that I can offer them. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example. One time I had a gentleman that had a 40 acre property he wanted me to come look at. And so I asked him these series of questions and, uh, how many guys are hunting on the property or how many hunters are on the property? And he, he's hunting that 40 acres with three friends. <laughs> so, so there was, there's four hunters on 40 acres. Well, then I come to the question, what's your goal for that property? And his goal for that property was to shoot at least one booner every year and on 40 acres with, with four hunters. And, you know, I, I, that was an impossible situation. There is nobody in the world that could help that person reach his goals with the situation at hand. And in fact, there's no 40 acres on the planet that you can guarantee a guy he's going to shoot a booner every year. And then the reason I ask those questions is so I can address situations like that out of the gate before I ever take anyone's money. Um, and, and there's been, that's an extreme situation. I've had others that are, are similar, but not quite that extreme where I, I have to explain to the potential client that something's got to give here. There, there's got to be a compromise. Either you're going to have to change your goals a little bit, or you're going to have to cut back on the hunting pressure on your property um you may be able to reach your goals but not with the number of hunters you have so in this situation you know my advice is you know figure out what your goal is first um because if if you can't achieve your goal in the situation that you're in you're going to have to change that situation and maybe your goal is to just enjoy time in the woods with friends well, then that's fine. You're just going to have to tolerate uh, some of your buddies, um, you know, tactics or whatever that you don't approve of. Um, but maybe your goal is you want to become the best big buck killer that you possibly can. And in that case, you're going to have to change your situation. You're going to have to maybe move to other properties, uh, go find some other hunting spots on your own and, and hunt them alone. Um, but that's about the best advice I can offer on, on this situation. If you wanted to go be, if you wanted to learn golf, and this was your first year playing golf, you have two choices. You could go out with guys in a foursome that are the same as you, um, not any better. They can't, you know, all of you chunk one into the woods every three tee shots. And if your goal is to go out on a golf course for four hours, have fun, play stupid drinking games and hoot and holler around with each other, and that's what you want to get out of golf, then that environment and those people you picked to be around aligns with those goals. If you want to be a scratch golfer, you need to align and spend times with people that are going to challenge you, teach you that you can learn from, that have already accomplished what your goal is. And you learn from people, um, you know, um, it's it's not to say you can't become a scratch golfer, you know, playing with guys that are 20 handicap, but it's really difficult because you're never challenged and you never learn. And, you know, you just need to start aligning yourself with what meets realistic goals. And no one ever starts playing golf and says, I'm going to be a scratch golfer in the second year. You know, you have to build on that. And sometimes it might mean go play a different golf course. And I've had to do that quite a bit with um, with my hunting properties. So, tough question, though, especially when it's family. That was a great analogy, the, um, the golf. 
I'm good for something every once in a while. I mean, you could you could do it for everything fishing, you know. It's it's what you want to get out of it. If you want to go sit on the bank right. fishing and with a bobber and on the river and you know catch something with a night crawler, fine. But you know, if you want to if you want to get humongous bass and travel all around and and get to that point, you gotta you gotta align yourself with the people that's going to challenge you, hold you accountable, and uh, and um, you know, that you can learn from. And the people that I hunted with when I was 17, 18, 19 years old, I don't regret that one bit because I learned a lot. But I wouldn't hunt with any of them right now. And really there's only two to three guys, period, that I would ever share a property with because you just get to the point in that journey <laughs> you can't find people that completely align with what you want to do. I think I think that was even part of your Big Buck Serial Killers when we first started the podcast, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, for sure. Loners. Well, great um, great question, Mr. Anonymous. Um, um, it's it's a tough situation with family. I've been there. Yep, for sure. And Mr. Anonymous, I do have your name and address, and you are getting a T-shirt. So if your buddy sees you running around your T-shirt, he's going to know that you submitted the question. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, just kidding, but you will get a T-shirt. All right, sounds good. So, uh, um, I, I'm really excited to end the show tonight hearing what your New Year's resolutions are. I don't even know if I'm going to give any unless you want to know mine, but I'm I'm more curious as to what. I've, I've never even been one to even set New Year's resolutions. I set I set goals for myself, but I don't think goals should necessarily align with New Year's, <laughs> if that makes sense. But uh-huh. um, but let's let's hear it. I want to hear what you got to say on this. Well, I was going to have you go first. Oh, well, I guess I can. Um, if I had to set goals, um, I guess my number one thing that I'm always going to try to be is uh, a better father and better um, better husband. And I know that's not the way you set goals because they have to be specific. But um, I have three children, and two of them are still in the house. And... When my oldest left and went off to college, it, it really put a reality check um, that the time that they're here to spend with them is very short. So uh, the amount of time that I'm going to invest in my kids and be there uh, and enjoy that with my wife, um, we're going to increase that. Um I'm going to be coaching approximately about between high school varsity, JV, and summer travel league i'm going to be coaching somewhere around 46 young women and teenagers uh this spring and summer coming up and in some cases those girls i might be the only positive christian influence that they have and uh, one of my goals is to try to uh, control my competitive spirit and be the christian coach that teaches them how to be uh, young women um, in the way to represent and glorify Christ no matter what they're doing. Um, I guess if I had to make a hunting goal, I haven't told anybody this, but um, you know, I, I've used a crossbow now for the last probably four years um, due to some injuries that I've had with three shoulder, shoulder surgeries. I've never really talked about it, but I had a catastrophic um, um, injury when I was about 18 in high school. And the aftermath of that is really, it's become 
um, very difficult for me to pull a compound more than like three or four times. But while I was in rehab for my knee, um, you know, going to as many PTs as I could, I've actually had them working on um, uh, different strength exercises to be able to draw without keeping my elbow as high. And uh, my goal for in the hunting woods next year is I want to get back to hunting full-time with a compound. I actually, I I didn't even tell you this, but I actually hunted the month of December with a compound this year. Um, didn't get a shot, but, um, that's, that's probably my hunting goal for the, for the new year. Well, that's awesome. And now you're making me wish that I'd have went first Uh oh, because you almost stole word for word. (laughs) Well, you don't have two, you don't have two kids at home, so you can tweak yours. You know, one of my resolutions and it's been, uh, uh, focus of mine for a while now is. I'm calling it a New Year's resolution, but it's something that I've been working on for a while. Is and you know I pray about it on a regular basis. Is I want to strive to be a better husband, a better father, a better grandfather, a better father-in-law, a better son, a better brother, and a better friend um, to those people who are closest to me. And uh, it's a work in progress. I think I'm slowly getting there. I think I'm. If I'd look back a few years, I think I'm a better, you know, all those things today uh, than I used to be. But, uh, you know, in 2021, I want to continue that journey and get even better at all those things. Um, you know, from the hunting aspect, I don't really, you know, I'm I'm doing the same thing in 2021 that I was doing in 2020. I'm, you know, trying to chase the biggest bucks possible. I, my goal is really kind of relative to the deer I have available to hunt on a particular year. But, you know, in regards to all this, you know, all, all the things that I do connected with hunting as far as uh, social media, um, you know, this podcast, dealing with the public and such, I think I've always handled the positive pretty well. I, I've never let it go to my head and, and get you know, big headed. I've always tried to stay humble and grounded. So I handle the positive really well, but I, I handle the, the <laughs> negative terrible. Well, he, and if anybody that's followed me on social media, knows exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, so somebody pipes off to me on, on social media and says something negative and I'm right back at him. You know, I just, <laughs> uh, I, I want to do battle with them. <laughs> So, you know, my New Year's resolution in regards to hunting is is to handle the negative better. Um, you know, continue to, to handle the positive in such a way that I remain humble and grounded, but uh, brush off some of that negative stuff and, and not even respond to it and get better at handling the negative. And, Terry, I hear you laughing in the background. <laughs> Go ahead and let me out. <laughs> well, there's there's two things at it is is I probably pushed on you harder than anybody over the last four or five years about fighting back, and I find myself when it comes to you, I'm the one that jumps in there and starts firing back at people more now than what you even do. Well, <laughs> that that's probably true. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm turned into a, turned into the little brother that that doesn't mind stepping in, and getting a punch thrown at him. Yeah, so. I, I don't understand. I'm one of them guys that could come up with a cure for cancer. I'd be attacked for it. And 
<laughs> I don't fully understand it. I'm sure I probably bring some of it on myself just because I don't let things slide that I should. So it's easy for some guy sitting in his mom's basement to pick a fight, <laughs> you know, with me knowing that I'm going to come back and let him have it. And, uh, I'm getting better. I mean, the other day I just, uh, I had a couple of idiots and, and, and one guy it really bugged me because he, he owns a company that, uh, come out with a trail camera and I'd never heard of the company until last summer, you know, when I was testing the trail cameras and, and, uh, I mean, I went so far as to, to buy one of this guy's cameras and tested it and it was an absolute piece of junk that I put on, <laughs> on Craigslist within 30 days. That's how bad it was. But, Hey, I didn't bash his camera whatsoever, anything like that. And I guess he was soured up at me over that. And just the other day, I mean, he just blasted me for something. I don't remember what it was. And, uh, and I, I tried to help that guy, you know, push his product. And if his product would have been decent, I would have. And I never bashed it whatsoever when I found out it was pure junk. But instead of arguing with the guy, I just went and, and blocked him from all my pages. And, uh, and he had a buddy on there that was supporting him and, and I just blocked them two guys, never said a word to either one of them. <laughs> and, uh, that, that's going to be, I'm going to try to make that my approach from now on. You say something stupid uh, and I'm fine with people disagreeing. If you disagree in a respectful manner and we can even have a debate and go back and forth, that's fine. I don't have any problem with that. But when you get stupid and disrespectful, then that's when it crosses the line and I'm just going to start blocking them idiots. It's tough because, you know, we're we're really. Uh, I hope people understand that the amount of time that Don and I have to do this isn't really there. You know, we have other stuff that we want and should be doing, um, but we're we're doing this because number one, we think that there's there's still going to be lost deer hunters out there that we can be an influence and win to Christ, and number two, help people learn the lessons that we did and, and be that resource for them. This is not a selfish venture for us in any means. And we, we've, we've had conversations this week about our goals for this podcast in 2021. And, you know, uh, the way it's taken off, it's, it's humbling and we're very appreciative of it, but we're not really changing anything. We're not going out and mass mailing media kits this year we're not going out and, and trying to do anything other than what who we are and what we're doing this year and and we're trying to stay um you know we're, we're not going to sugarcoat everything you guys know that by now but we're not necessarily going to jump in that that i think a lot of people um think that this thing is for selfish reasons no i am you know, it would be so easy for us to, to start hitting up sponsors. And we've actually got sponsors coming to us. And we're, we're not even interested in, in taking on a new sponsor at this time. Um, we're different. We say things here that nobody in the hunting industry would ever say. Um, and, and we don't say it to, to hurt people, to, to hurt companies. Or, or anything like that. We do it to, to help the listener. Um, you know, we, we truly want you to be successful. Um, but at the same time, we want, want you to hear the message that we've, we've got to share. And, you know, that's the message of salvation through Jesus Christ. So right on. that's what we're about. Well, we don't hide it. 
I think that was a really good episode, uh, unless you got something else. That was a really good episode to end the year on. Um, I just, like I said a minute ago, I'm so humbled by the outpouring of support. I don't know about you, but the amount of podcast listeners that uh, sent me a message even just telling me Merry Christmas. Um, You're making making this... you know, really surreal for me because um, I'm just kind of tagging along on with Don here, trying to help him out um, and put content out for you guys. The fact that you guys are, are willing to take time out of, out of your schedules to interact with us and tell us how much you appreciate it, it just means the world to us. And uh, can't can't thank all of our listeners enough. Um, you know, and and I hope you don't mind, but what really really helps us at this point is going to. Chasing Giants with Higgins Outdoors YouTube channel, subscribing it, and when these videos come out, share them with your friends. That's that's the best way that you can help us get this content out to more people. Um, but I'm just really, really thankful for the opportunity, and I think that God opens doors that we need to be willing to walk through and to use to glorify Him, and that's uh, what my goal is for uh, 2021. Absolutely. Well said. All right. Well, we're a minute 16. We're a little long, so why don't you, unless you got something else, why don't you take us out with our sponsors? All right. We want to thank our sponsors, uh, buyafarm.com, 360 Hunting Blinds, Quiet Cat, Vortex Optics, Lone Wolf Stands, Matthews Archery, and Real World Wildlife Products. We'll see everyone in 2021. Happy New Year. <laughs>